you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read from there uh, in a moment or two. Hebrews chapter 11. Really, really good to be with you um, today and to have the opportunity just to, to be sharing God's Word with you and to be in the presence of God. Um, I tell you, it's really lovely to come in and to sense um, the atmosphere and to know that there's a lifting and a rising atmosphere and just to be in the sense of worship as we have been. I tell you, God's amongst you. Amen. And that's what church is supposed to be all about. And when we know the Lord is in the midst, I tell you, that puts everything in its place because he's sovereign, he's in control, uh, and he's able for all things. Bless his name. So lovely to be with you. Lovely to have the opportunity to share with you again this morning. We're going to read um, from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're reading from verse 24 together. And it says this, by faith Moses, when he came of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. And we're going to come to that passage and one other uh, as we move through the word of God this morning. But you know, Faith is so important in our walk with God and in our encounter, our relationship with God. And alongside faith comes our ability to see. Sight is so important. How we view things, how we see things. And have you ever stopped to think about what it is to see physically? And if you're here this morning and perhaps you're visually impaired, I want you to know I don't take that lightly in any way or anything like that. My heart really goes out to you. But the ability to see is something that really protects us from so many dangers in life. Sight is something which enhances life, doesn't it? The beauty and the wonder around us. I know that a few years ago I had to, started to just get a little bit difficult whenever I was reading and I had to go and get these. And I went along to, to Specsavers. Uh, to get the appointment and to get the test done. And I'll never forget the experience. I had never been in an optician's, really. Um, and I went in and they booked me in for the appointment. The girl took me downstairs into this little room and she had a laptop there and there was a little screen on the wall. She put me up in a big chair, like a dentist chair, and it was quite intimidating. I thought, you know, I'm in the right place. I just came to get my eyes tested. And uh, was sitting there and she tapped a few things on her keyboard and she says to me, Mr. Michael, what do you see? And I'm looking at the little screen on the wall in front of me and there's nothing there. So I didn't speak. And uh, she just waited a moment or two and then she said, Mr. Michael, what do you see? I said, you know, I just sort of didn't know what to do because there was nothing there on the screen. The last time I had ever been in a situation like that was way back when I was in primary school. You remember when you used to get the big charts and it started with the letters up here and it went right down to the V at the bottom that was so small? Many people remember that. Uh, you see, there's some people who will admit that and there's some people who won't. 
That was my last experience. And I'm looking at this little screen. There's nothing on. She says, Mr. Michael, what do you see? And eventually I said to her, this may be worse than what we first thought. <laughs> I said, I don't see anything at all. And she flicked around in her chair and she looked at it and said, oh, I'm very sorry, I need to turn the screen on. <laughs> Which was a real help to me. Uh, you know, the, uh, the ability to see, it protects us from so much. It enhances life in so many ways. I had um, one of our pastors who I had traveled often with in a car. He got a new pair of glasses and he he, he, he was on his way home from getting them, and he phoned me from the car, hands-free, I would say, and he phoned me, and he said, Edwin, you'll never believe, he said, I've just picked up my new glasses. I'm driving along here. It's incredible the things I can see. And I'm thinking, like, other cars, maybe, or, <laughs> or whatever it may be, and I'm thinking of all the times I traveled with him. Sight, that ability to see. What's true in the natural is also true in the spiritual. As a church, we, we need to be able to see. We need to ask God to open our eyes, to begin to see things differently, to begin to see as God sees in so many ways. We, we read in Revelation 3 about a church, the church at Laodicea. And God counseled them to, to buy from him salve that they might anoint their eyes, that they might see clearly. Laodicea if you've ever read up about it or had the chance to go there, famous for three things, very rich, famous for its banking, famous for its textile industry, and famous for its medicine, its ISAL. And here's a church that's mentioned in the Word of God, and they're getting on with church life. They're doing all the things that churches do. I believe Laodicea had a busy, full-on program. And as far as they can see, it says in the Word of God, they feel they're rich, they're increased with goods, and they don't have need of anything. But as God sees it, listen, he says to them, actually, you're poor. Banking was a big thing. The textile industry, the black wool they produced, he said, you're naked. And he said, you're blind. As far as they can see, the Lord is in the midst of the church. They probably had a full program and full swing. But as God sees it, God saw himself, or the Lord saw himself, as outside the church. He says, Revelation 3.20, I'm standing at the door, and I knock. The Lord trying to get back into his own church. Now, I'm not, that's not my preach this morning. I'm not trying to infer that perhaps that's the situation in Dundonald or anything like that. But what I do want to point out is the thing that shocks me about that is how much their spiritual vision had become impaired and they didn't even know. They were the two opposite ends of the spectrum. And the Lord's looking in and he's saying something entirely different. Their spiritual vision has become impaired and they're not even aware of it. James Ladron, who, who founded Prayer Storm UK, he'll be with us at Wondrous this year. He was speaking in Belfast, I think it was last week. Davey, you were there. And he said a really interesting thing, just an off-the-cuff off the comment. He says, isn't it amazing? He said that we're not even aware we're sleeping until we wake up. I mean, you didn't sleep through last night conscious of the fact that you were sleeping, but you knew when you woke up you had been. Folks, is it possible, I believe it completely is, that even though we may be in, in, in the activity of, of church life, that there are levels at which we may be sleeping, and that God wants to break in in ways that we never even dreamed, that we have never even seen yet, new dimensions and new levels of His power, Things that God wants to do in our midst, his presence amongst us. 
And, you know, God wants to wake us up and lift us to the new level. He wants to open our eyes so that we can begin to see. And what we're able to see to a large extent determines what our lives will be. What we're able to see will determine what we do with our life, how we live our life, what we achieve in life. And the world knows that around us. That's why advertising is so, so important. That's why people and companies will pour literally millions into advertising because they know that what we take in through the eye gate, what we're able to see even with our mind's eye, what we can imagine as it were there, has such a powerful impact upon our lives. A number of years ago before the, 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 the crash of 2008 in the building industry, I don't know if I've ever shared this illustration with you that the building industry, they had, they had a, a campaign that they ran and it was on billboards around our country everywhere and it was a TV ad as well and it was simply a brick on a billboard and the caption below it simply said, if a brick is all you can see, drive on. But then in the TV ad, they took it a little bit further because it was video footage. And in the TV ad, they began that way. But then the brick began to spin around. And suddenly from that brick emerged a huge, you know, multi-thousand seater sports stadium. And what they were saying was, if you can see what can be achieved by putting brick on brick, if you can see beyond what is just in front of you, you're the kind of person that we're looking for. You're the kind of person that we can work with. And I want to say to you this morning, God wants his people to be able to see. He wants us to be able to see through different eyes, to see things in different way, no longer seeing things the way that we used to, but growing, literally growing in our experience of seeing things God's way. He wants us to become people who, who look at others and don't just see the problems, but see the potential. Folks, this church, I was going to say this at the end, but I believe you're in for a time of change. I don't want you to view the induction on the 12th as the end of a bad season. I want you to see it as the glorious beginning of a different season, of a new season. And I pray and I trust that God will bring people through your door that have never been through the door before. And some of them won't fit the bill. Some of them, it won't be like Dundonald that you have known for years. And it's there that the church needs to be people who can see with spiritual eyes. To see what God is trying to do. To see the broken lives that he's trying to bring forgiveness and grace and healing to. And be part of lifting them up and building them in the kingdom of God together. Forgive me if I ever told you the story about the guy who came into Portadown. It must be 20 years ago. Came in through our youth group. Big guy and he... He was uh, from a Roman Catholic background. He came into the youth meeting one night. He was going out with this girl, and she wasn't a Christian either, but she had Christianity in her background, and she brought him in. And during the time I was speaking, he came to me at the end, and he says, I believe I have become a Christian. He says, I believe that while I was sitting there tonight, I could just see what it was all about, and something clicked in me, and I gave my life to God. And he went on to a great character, he played, in a, he played in a rock band, and he was a really, really nice guy. One of the things about him was he had, and back in those days I had hair too, so I wasn't as envious, but 
he had the most amazing head of blonde hair. And when I say blonde hair, I'm not just talking about blonde hair. I mean it was blonde hair to here. He used to just put a thing around it, and it used to just hang right down to below the waistline at the back. And God just got a hold of his life, but he didn't fit the bill. He really didn't, didn't fit in. Then it came around to a baptismal service, and he wanted to get baptized. And oh, some people, how could we baptize someone with hair that length? Now, I know to some people today that seems like, whoa, you know. But that was the reality. Some people were more interested in the length of his hair than they were in the fact that this guy had moved a thousand miles from where he had been brought up, from what he had been indoctrinated in, from what he had known. And God was breaking out in his life in a really exciting way. And so we fought off a few people and I baptized him. Remember putting him down into the water and as he came up out of the water, I'll never forget it. He came up, his hair was cut. No, it wasn't. I'm only joking about it. I just, I'm just throwing that in to make sure you're still awake, okay? But I'll never forget, he came up out of the water and his hair floated out everywhere, all over the tank. It was amazing. But I tell you, what a joyous moment. And he went, he went on to be one of the main drummers uh, in our church, and I remember he came in one Sunday morning and the hair was cut, <laughs> real, truthful this time. And God did the work in his life. Folks, we need to be able to see that God wants to take broken people. And the church needs to be a home to them where, where, where God can transform them and bring them forward uh, in, in the faith and with himself. God wants the church to be people who don't just see what is, but what can be. People who look at life and don't just look at life and say, well, what's in that for me? What can I take from it? But rather they look at life and look at church and they say, how can I get in and how can I serve? How can I invest myself in the kingdom of God and in eternal things? People who see with different eyes. You know, it's very interesting that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, prophets were called seers. Isn't that interesting? Not only because they could predict or they knew about the future, but because they could see spiritually what was needed in the nation. Because they could see or they could sense the spiritual temperature in the land and they knew where the hearts of God's people were at. They were sensitive as it were. They were sensitive to God's timings and God's moving and they could see what was needed spiritually. They were seers. And God wants us to be able to see spiritually see. And he wants us to come to the place where we're aware that we need to go before God and say, Lord, help me to see. Because we have learned to do life a certain way. We have learned to handle people a certain way. We have, we have been affected by our country, by religion, by a host of things. But what we need is a breath of the Holy Spirit and spiritual vision, spiritual eyes to see what God is doing today, what God wants to achieve so that we can line up with that. Because how many people know that what God is doing, that's where the power of God is. The power of God doesn't rest with what I decide to do or what I want to do, but the power of God is released into the plan and the purpose of God. And we need to line up with that, and we need to be able to see. God wants us to be able to see with spiritual eyes. Let me think for a moment this morning. When you, first of all, look at yourself, what do you see? 
As I go around the land, I, I, I see so many believers, and when they look at themselves, they, they see themselves as unlovable. They see themselves as having no assurance and no real peace. So many of God's people view themselves as somehow useless or with little to bring to the table. It's like sometimes there's an oppression on the people of God. Jesus Christ did not die and rise again so that we would live a life of oppression and defeat. But he died and he rose again to set us free. Hallelujah. To lift us from that. Not that I'm talking that we should go around with arrogance or big-headed or anything like that. You know, some of God's people actually even believe that true humility is to think of yourself that way. Folks, if we look at ourselves that way, how are we ever going to bring healing to brokenness? Unless we realize that Jesus, we may be all of those things. We may have very little to bring to the table. But no matter how little we bring to the table or what we are or where we have been, if we are in Christ, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, hallelujah, and there's a work for us to do in the kingdom of God. And we've got to come to the place as a church where we realize that we are on his mission and his power is with us. And God can use every last one of us for his glory. Amen? He really can. But so often the church is down upon itself. So often believers are down upon themselves, crippled and oppressed. I tell you, Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. And one of his works is to oppress you as an individual and to oppress and bring condemnation to you as a child of God. But I want to say to you this morning, you're free. If you are in Christ, you're free in Jesus' name. And he has called you with a purpose. He's called you with a work to do. And as I say, I'm not saying that we should go around with arrogance or, or anything like that in any way. That's not what I'm getting at. But we need to realize that we've been forgiven, we've been lifted, and we're brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And God has a work for us to do in that kingdom. Let me mention some things about seeing. Moses, we read about in Hebrews 11. And I just want to say to you that I believe that what Moses saw kept him from giving up, kept him from giving up. You know, we should never underestimate what Moses took on as a leader. Sometimes we read Bible stories, don't we? And because we know the end of the story, we assume that it looks bad, but it wasn't been really bad because they got through. Because these were real people who didn't know the end of the story. That's the point. And we should never underestimate their struggles, their battles. Never underestimate what Moses took on. Believe me, even from this little passage, you pick up the sense that it was no mean thing to challenge a pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world in Moses' day. It was no light thing for Moses to march out of Egypt with the children of Israel into a desert where the temperatures climbed to 50 degrees plus. Have you ever tried to take your family on a day out in an air-conditioned car with a packed lunch for a few hours? Can you imagine what it was to take upwards maybe on two and a half million people through the desert with all that would have been going on in the midst of that group, the pressure, the responsibility. Then you would have had the internal problems. We know they were a mixed group. There was unbelief in the camp. There was grumbling. There were people sowing discord. There was idolatry. There was rebellion. There were people talking about leaving. There were people who thought they could do Moses' job better than him. This is sounding more like church all the time, Davy. 
But all of that was going on in the midst of this group. Then Moses gets to the promised land. And when he gets to the edge of the promised land, he discovers from God that he's going to have to do another 40 years in the desert. So I would have just laid down and given up right there. I really would. 40 years. During that time, everybody above 20 years old is going to die off. Now, allow me a little bit of license here. If there were two, two and a half million of them, let's assume conservative for Hebrew or Jewish families that there would have been about 800,000 people under 20 years of age. So that meant in the next 40 years, 1,700,000 people are going to die off. Do you know what that was? That was 817 funerals per week, every week for 40 years. This was a death march. A death march. A really, really, really difficult task. Maybe you thought maybe last week was a bad week in church. (laughs) 817 funerals. If you averaged them out in that particular way. You know what the Bible says? It says, Moses persevered because he saw him who is invisible. It doesn't unpack a lot of that, but it says that he saw him who is invisible. And somehow in the midst of all of that, Moses received the energy and the encouragement to really keep going. Because this man walked with God, he communed with God, and in spite of a death march through the wilderness, in spite of all the issues that were going on, God was real to him, and he knew that God would complete what he started. And I want to just say to you this morning, I don't know what you may be facing in your life individually, or facing in your family, or what you may be going through. And I don't make light of that in in, in any way. Because I realize in in a congregation this size, people are facing all kinds of horrific things and news that comes that really rocks our world. But I want to tell you, if you can keep your eye upon God, you can get through to the other side. You will be able to press through if you keep your eye upon God. And it's so important, and you've heard the saying before, that you and I don't look at God through the lens of our problems because that puts God very far away and it makes him look very small. But make sure that you look at your problems through the lens of God. And no matter what they are, I tell you, his grace is sufficient. Our God is able. He's the God who can carry you. He is the God that can see you through. And maybe you came to church this morning and your world is positioned at this moment and that's just what you need to hear. He's your God this morning. And the God who has begun a good work within you will perform it. Praise his name. He will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. And what Moses saw kept him from giving up. Let me mention a couple of other people in the Bible. There's a great story. We won't turn to it in in 2 Kings chapter 6. Story about Elisha. And what Elisha saw kept him from being afraid. Great story. It's the story of the Syrian king, and he was, um, he was trying to invade Israel. And every time the Syrian king would make battle plans, prophet Elisha would tell the king of Israel what those plans were. Amazing that the king of Israel had the king of Syria's bedroom bugged, even before there was such a thing as technology or bugs or anything else. 
And the king of Syria gathers his war cabinet together and he says to the war cabinet, we've got a mole because everything we're planning seems to leak out. Who is it? And they speak up and they say, no, it's the prophet of God in Israel. And he actually tells the king of Israel the things that you say in your bedchamber. That's literally his word. The Holy Spirit's everywhere. Amen. He knows. So the king of Syria says, well, let's get that man. And he dispatches an army and, and, and a leadership team around them. And they go after him. And they, they find Elisha in the city of, of Dothan. And it tells us that in the morning, the servant of Elisha, he wakes up. And he pulls back the curtains or he opens the blinds or whatever he did. And he looked out. And there is the army of Syria camped all around the hillside, all around the town, all around the city. And he goes into an immediate total panic. And he says, you know, Master, what are we going to do? But in verse 16 of 2 Kings 6, Elisha said to him, don't be afraid. He said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And read the passage. It is such an interesting passage about seeing and not seeing. And Elisha then prays for his servant and he says, Lord, Open his eyes. That was all he prayed. And when he opened his eyes on hillsides around about chariots and horsemen and horses of fire, the armies, the hosts of the living God, there all the time. The story goes on. It's really interesting. Elisha goes down and he prays that that they will strike the Syrian army with blindness. They all get struck blind. He says, I'm not the man you're looking for and this is not the right place. And he leads them away to another, to Samaria, and he brings them to the king of Israel, and then he prays, Lord, open their eyes. It's it's such an interesting story. And when they open their eyes, they're in front of the king of of Israel, and the king of Israel says, you know, my enemies are delivered into my hand. What will I do with them? Will I kill them with the sword? And Elisha says, no, not at all. Give them a meal and send them on their way. In other words, the whole episode depicts Elisha as just being unruffled at all. And he prays for his servant and he says, Lord, open his eyes. And the point is this. Elisha never was ruffled because I believe Elisha had seen those things before. And he knew that as he walked, as he went, the hosts of heaven were with him. And he was able to say to his servant, there are more with us than are with them. And folks, as you and I go through life, You and I need to know that the God who's with us is a big God. Your God is a big God. The Bible even speaks about angelic spirits that are sent forth to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. You and I are never alone in this journey. There are times it may seem that way, but I tell you, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. And those who are for us are more than those who are against us at all times. God is sovereign. He is outworking his purpose. He is in control. And that's why he is the God who says to you, do not be afraid. Fear is a crippling force in the life of the child of God. And if you've ever battled with it, and believe me, I know what I'm speaking about. If you've ever battled with it, you will know how crippling that is. But God says to us, don't be afraid. How many times did Jesus say, don't be afraid, fear not. And he's the same God today. He's your God, and he says exactly the same thing to you. And if you're battling with something at this moment, and in the night season or wherever it may be, it comes to you with a paralyzing fear, I tell you, remember, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. 
And there are more for us than those that are against us. But we just need to begin to see the right way. And Elisha prayed for his servant and he says, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. We're going to draw things to a close. What Moses saw kept him from quitting. He endured seeing the one who is invisible. He knew that God was real. He communed and he connected with God and he pressed through. Elisha wasn't even ruffled because he knew that in the, the spiritual heavens and the spiritual atmosphere, the hosts of heaven were constantly with him and he was never alone. God says to you and I this morning, I will never leave you or forsake you. I want to turn to one last passage, if you want to turn with me, to Acts chapter 16. And read a few verses from verse 6. Acts 16, and we're reading verse 6 through to 10. One of Paul's missionary journeys. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Oh, for the leading of the Holy Spirit in that way again. You know, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. They were hearing the voice of God. Verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. I take great comfort from this passage, maybe in a strange way, but you know, isn't it comforting to know that even the apostle Paul at times wasn't sure what way to go or what to do next? And here he is on his missionary journey, and effectively, if you look at the maps, he was traveling through the west, northwest Turkey, really. And if you look at all the places that Paul wanted to go, Paul is constantly wanting to go right. He's constantly wanting to go east to preach the gospel. And repeatedly, the Spirit of God blocks their path and says that he's not to do that. They were forbidden by the Spirit to preach the word in Asia, verse 6. And they came to Mysia, and they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And when they got to there, they were at a dead end because they're not allowed to go where they want to go. And the mission trip really halts at that point, and Paul grinds to a standstill. But what happens next is absolutely incredible. And what Paul saw kept them from sitting in that place idle. Because Paul got this vision of a man in Macedonia calling him to come over and pleading with him to come and preach the gospel. And Paul's vision took him in a whole new direction. When he had ground to a halt and when he didn't know what way to go, God had stopped him in his tracks. Then what he saw gave him new motivation, new direction, and a whole work to do. And he stopped trying to turn east and he effectively went into Macedonia, which is northern Greece of today. And the whole story opens out after that. Lydia gets saved and her family, the jailer and his family. A church is planted at Philippi and the gospel spreads. And effectively, European history changed in those verses because the gospel came west first. And you and I live in the legacy of that. And it's all because Paul received a vision from the Lord of where to step into next, of what direction he was supposed to go. And what God showed him 
as he touched his heart, kept Paul from sitting by idle. And as you move into a new phase, a different phase in the life of this church, I want to ask you, what do you see whenever you look out? What do we see really? What is church really all about? Yes, look, anybody that knows us from wondrous and stuff like that knows how much we love worship and all of those things. We appreciate all of that. And we've got to continue with all of that as we lift up and worship and glorify the name of the Lord. But folks, let's not make church an end in itself. Because I do believe we have done that and we're in danger of doing it. Our movement set out to be an evangelistic, pioneering, church-planting movement that would go out beyond the boundaries and would see people one for the Lord. And we are in danger in the Western world of, of making the church an end in itself. We've just had three great days with Reggie McNeil, uh, a missional church expert from, a, from America who spoke to our pastors, and he brought a message of the church building the kingdom. Stuff that we knew. David, you were there. Stuff that we had heard before, but somehow there was a real impact with it. And in a sense, we have come to the place, thank God for church, and like I love to come to church, and I love it when I come to church. The church is good, and I love it when the music's good. Don't get me wrong. But is this the end in itself? No, I tell you, we come in here to be built up, to be ministered to, to be given vision, to be fired up, to go out for the real task, which is to win the lost. And there's a community all around. And I plead with you, in this new season of church, don't, don't just say, oh, well, we have arrived. No, we're just starting. Hallelujah. And I believe that the church can be something here in Dundonald, and, and I, don't, I don't say I'm not reflecting on the past in any shape or in any format. It's not what I mean. But it can be something that has never been before. Hallelujah. And it can touch and impact this community in a new way for the glory of God. You know, Reggie McNeil, when he spoke to us, he used a great illustration. He said that church and the kingdom, he said, it's a bit like a football match. And he said the game takes place in two halves, but in the middle there's an interval. And in the interval, the team is gathered in. And when the team is gathered in, well, the boss, he will be giving them directions about how to play the next, the next half of the game. Anybody here into football? I'm nearly afraid to say that. Any United supporters here? Any Man City supporters here? If you were watching the football yesterday, well, you'll know what I'm talking about. But here's the thing. He used this great illustration and he said the, the coach doesn't take the team in at half time and sit with them and clap their back and say, are we a great bunch of guys? Look at the talent we have in this room and celebrate themselves. No, he prepares them to go out for the second half. But he said sometimes in church what we're doing is we're gathering together and that is good, but we're gathered together and we're backpatting as it were and we're saying about the great gifts we have and about how many people are coming in. Instead of using the time to say we're here to be equipped to go out, hallelujah. That the church's purpose is to build and extend the kingdom of God and see souls when somebody can say amen to that. That is our purpose, and we must never lose sight of it. And what Paul saw kept him from sitting idle. It put him back on course, and the moment he stepped into the purposes of God, the power of God is released, and souls begin to be saved. History has changed. God is on the move. God's kingdom is being extended. And I tell you, Jesus is still in the same business today. He just We hear all this talk about the, 
the state of our land morally and the, the opposition to the church, yes, and maybe sometime in the future when I'm here I may speak about those things. All of that is true. But folks, our world is nothing compared. The challenge in front of us is nothing compared to the challenge that faced the early church whenever they set out. When they were the unknown and they didn't have facilities or buildings or anything else, but they turned the world upside down because the power of God was with them. And I'm not making little of the difficulties that we face as we try to share the gospel. All of those things are real and there's battles to be fought there. But what I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter how dark it gets out there. We serve the sovereign God, the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's building his church. He's extending his kingdom. God's at work. And we ought to take courage from that. And we need to step into it. And we need to see that we are not just, in a sense, building a club for fellowship. But we're building something to equip the people of God to be missional, to be evangelistic, to, to touch their world in relevant ways. And oh, I tell you, if Dundonald rises to that challenge, well, who knows what the future holds? Remember one Sunday morning in this church, I said something that it wasn't, I said, I didn't, I'm not just saying it because I want to try and encourage you. I really felt that morning when I had been out praying that God gave it to me. And that was that the latter end would be greater than the former. Where we had been and what you had been through wasn't an end as it were. But that there was greater stuff to come. That it would be greater in the end. And I did feel in my heart, yes, but it won't be the same as it was before. And it won't be the same, folks. And we need to see what God sees and throw ourselves before them and say, Lord, help us to see what you want to do. Put the keys in our hand to, to touch our community and to touch the city around about us in the way that you want us to touch it. We need to put ourselves at a stretch, a little bit more sacrifice, a little bit more giving, a little bit more laying it on the line so that God can achieve his purposes. Amen? And what Paul saw kept him from sitting idle. May God always help us to be looking out, to be seeing beyond ourselves. Really closing with this one last little story that you may have heard before. About 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers or settlers Land, settlers landed on the northeast coast of America. The settlers, we know the story. They went to pioneer new frontiers. They went into, into nothingness to establish cities and towns where they could live. True story. The first year that they landed, they established a town site, built a town. The next year, they elected a town government to lead them and to guide them. The third year after they arrived, the town government planned to build a road from their town five miles westward inland into the wilderness. That was their plan. And they announced to the town people, we're going to build a road. That sounded reminiscent of somebody else. We're going to build a wall. No, we're going to build a road westward from where we have settled, from where we have planted. And whenever they announced this to the town people, a road five miles westward into the wilderness... Third year, they announced it. In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government. 
because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into a wilderness. Who would ever go there anyway? Who would ever use a road? They had everything they needed right there. Now think about this. Here were a people who had had the vision just four years previously to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome unbelievable hardships to get to their destination. But in just a few years, they weren't even able to see five miles down the road. And that's how quickly spiritual vision declines and goes away. God wakes up. God stirs again. And I want to encourage you to make it a matter of prayer that the church would be praying constantly, Lord, give us eyes to see where you are moving, what you are doing. Don't let us lose our vision. Don't let us lose that desire to win the lost and to see the name of Jesus exalted and glorified. Sight is very, very important. What we see in the natural protects us from many things. It enhances our lives in so many ways. But I tell you, if it's true in the natural, it's very true in the spiritual. God give us eyes to see. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and lead us. We can bless you.